Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Winning as Women, where we spotlight the best sellers, revenue leaders, and coaches to unpack the stories and lessons that make up their success. I'm your host, Jody Geiger, and in today's episode, I'm joined by Jordana Zelda. And in her soul, and her early resume at least, Jordana is an artist, a photographer, a gallerist with a background in theater. And I think she might be someone who didn't plan on building her career in sales. Uh, but honestly, though, who did? Uh, she is a co-founder at the Practice Lab, which is a cohort-based training program for B2B account executives uh, and a place for them, a safe place, really, for them to develop their sales skills through practice. So welcome, Jordana. Thank you so much, Jody. So glad to be here. Yeah, so excited to get into this conversation. Um, and I'm, you know, I think just to kick off, how in the world is sales still largely a career where you are expected as a seller to practice live in performance? I know it's so, it's so, we're going to get right into it. It's, it's such an interesting thing, you know, like, and it's difficult to quite understand the origins of how we got off to such a strange start in that way, especially because every other performance-based discipline on the planet recognizes that practice is such an important part of things. I think what can be challenging, and you tell tell me your experience here with this, Jody, when folks think about practicing selling specifically, because it's a, a like a live human to human interaction, I think it can be hard for people to understand like what that practice looks like and really where to begin to effectively structure it beyond, let's say, role play. You know, if you look around at musicians and let's say athletes, they slow down in practice, right? Or they focus in on very specific moments or behaviors or skills that when put all together become like the big concert, right? Or the big game. But I think up until very recently, not many folks in our space have been able to successfully apply apply those principles or maybe haven't had the time or the the space to think around how to translate what works well in practice in other disciplines to what works well in practice in ours. Totally. And I think some of that, at least in my experience, is that we look at a, a sales cycle and we, you know, most companies out there have broken down their selling motion into key phases. And, you know, that makes its way into your CRM and, and, you know, how we think about active deals that are ongoing. And, you know, some companies are at the place where, you know, there's success criteria, what happens at each of those stages to make sure that we understand, you know, should a deal move or shouldn't it move? Is it ready? Is it not? Um, Then there's that one step further. Okay, so if it's not, how do we get it ready? What are the things we do in conversation or ways that we engage with um, our prospects or potential customers to move that deal forward? Okay. It's the next level, I think, of what within each of those, um, be it skill sets or moments, is required. And how do we break those down into these micro elements? And discovery for me is a big one. Um, or negotiation, these these things where we go, oh, just you just you know learn to be a better negotiator, read a book, right. or 
or just, you know, you gotta, you just gotta do better discovery, like ask better questions. No, I think it's more than that. So I don't know what your experience is there, but there's, there's something there for me. Yeah, it's so interesting. I mean, I I do think there's you know, so often, and you've probably seen this too, like when a seller, let's say, brings a call to a manager to listen to and offer feedback, like so often the focus is on the, literally the whole call. And then there are 50 pieces of feedback on that entire call, all spanning completely discrete, discrete moments of the sales conversation and involving any number of skills. And it can be so, so hard in absence of the kind of zeroing in that you're talking about and breaking up the conversation into these kind of bite-sized micro moments for a seller to then take 50 pieces of feedback, which require different skills at different moments in the conversation and actually do something um, with them. But I know, and I know we've talked about this off air, Jody, but you are so, so rare in the fact that you have also arrived in this place where you're thinking about the development of sales skills and training in this way. Because again, I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what it is that, that has stood in the way of people arriving at that conclusion. Maybe it is, maybe it's an over-reliance on process or tools at the expense mm -hmm. of, you know, understanding that, that at its core, this is like a human to human interaction, which is very much about communication skills. But most people are not thinking about it in a way that I know from our conversations feels very kind of intuitive for you. I mean, I'm curious to understand, Jody. like when, when you first started sales coaching and, and training, did you have to pass through doing things as they're done, you know, in large by our industry and then arrive at this more like broken down micro approach to developing skills? Or is that something that you just felt made sense right away? No, no, I'm still in that process. <laughs> I feel like every day I have a, a new uh, moment where the penny drops. Uh, and I think that, you know, largely your work in, and some of the, the peers that you have is also influencing the way I'm thinking about that. Um, and so, no, um, I'm, I mean, I'm not an enablement person by trade. I'm a, you know, ex seller, um, an ex sales leader and, uh, and I'm a coach, you know, the, a certified coach. And so when I think about bringing those two worlds together, what I, you know, I think some of your work is allowing me to, um, maybe make more concrete some of my own experiences. And I'll give you an example of this and maybe you can tell me how you arrived at this. Um, an example uh, within some of the individual, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching sessions that I do would be where someone, you know, maybe a seller has been given feedback that they're not uh, connecting with their prospect, or maybe they, you know, their manager might be going, you know, you need to be more curious, <laughs> yeah. right? And you're not, because your discovery is, it's not quite getting there, or you're not, you know, there seems to be this distance, or you're asking questions and it's falling flat, Right. Or maybe you're talking too much or you're asking double barrel questions. And so there's, like you said, there's all this feedback being splattered. And I think it comes from, you know, great sales directors and VPs and CROs and maybe your CEO and you're hearing it because there's so many people involved in a sales process, not just you and your manager, let alone a coach, an enablement person, a, you know, the amount of people that are in kind of the cheap seats looking at sellers and their individual calls at this point in today's world is a lot. And so I think that feedback is really overwhelming. Um, but if I you know bring it back to, I'm, I'm talking with a seller one-on-one -on -one, 
and they're telling me this is the feedback or it feels overwhelming. How do I develop this skill? And they're kind of curious. I always naturally go to this place of you just need to practice it in your day-to-day life. So Mm. this week, you know, I want you to, in all of your personal conversations with your partner, your friends, your kids, whatever it may be, instead of responding with an answer or telling your own story or giving your own advice, step back and just ask one question, the simplest question, ideally two words, see where that goes. And when they respond, ask another, you know, two word simple question and that's it. Report back. <laughs> how did it feel? Um, you know, how did those conversations go? How did that change your relationship? What are the shifts you're noticing? And so I was listening to some of your other work and um, or conversation that you had had previously, and you hinted on some of these themes. And again, the penny dropped for me of, aha, so this just isn't just a one-on-one thing. How do we do this at scale um, mm-hmm. and do this in more of a training sense? So I don't know if that offers you a, a jumping off point. Well, I'm just like geeking out and I just can't even believe you exist because like, yes, like the, the, the whole thing is, and I think that this is often where sales training falls a little short or where there's a disconnect is all too often people don't understand or the messages are not being shared that the best sales skills are the best human skills, right? Mm-hmm. And if you're learning a sales skill, that you would feel really uncomfortable trying on for size with the human beings in your life, then it's probably not a sales skill that's that's really going to serve you very well. But what's yeah. so amazing about what you're saying is that we are one of the only professions that I can really think of where we do have opportunities in our lives to practice the skills that make us better sellers and better humans. And things like, act, you know, like, active listening, listening with curiosity, act, you know, asking great questions. Those are very much skills that we can practice literally in every waking moment in any conversation with anybody. And I think that when sellers, when they have that aha moment, when they realize that this is just, I mean, really about being human, of course, with some, with some strategy and some structure and some frameworks, it allows them to, of course, practice those skills as you're directing them so beautifully to do, you know, in the wild of their lives, but also to show up to the selling conversations more as themselves. And that was like a huge, huge shift that I made early on in my sales career and where I went from feeling really yucky about sales and wanting to get out as soon as possible, even though I was in it, I didn't think I had long, to realizing, oh my God, I want to be in this. I really love this. It was when my sales leader at the time gave me permission to show up as myself. Because prior to to his arrival on our team, you know, we were a bunch of newbies. It was a startup. My sales leader had never led a team before. We all had this feeling that like, in order to sell, we had to become these very like either formal or robotic versions of ourselves. And at the time we were selling into the art world and calling into these, you know, oftentimes snooty galleries. So we thought we had to match the vibe there in order to have real conversations with them. And it was very uncomfortable for everybody. It was very uncomfortable for us. And all of those great human skills that we have very naturally in our lives just went out the window as we did our best attempt to be the seller version of who we thought we needed to be in order to sell. But when I was able to connect the dots, and this is true of you know the sales approach that we teach in the practice lab as well, between like who I am as a human being and who should be showing up in those sales conversations everything really shifted. And I think, you know, as trainers and coaches, the more we can 
very explicitly help sellers to realize that like the these the skills can be developed, but they're on display in many aspects of our lives already, and we can use our lives to further hone them. The sales thing feels less other and more like an extension of ourselves. How does I mean? How what comes up for you as 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 I as I talk about that? Everything, everything. You're yeah, you're sparking everything here. I think that um, you know one thing that you said is that instantly my reaction was like yes people can sniff out we are allergic to unauthentic people I can tell when you're putting something on I might not be able to put my finger on it but there's a feeling in my gut that is like oof that's not working for me or I'm not feeling that um and we feel it within ourselves you leave that interaction and you feel yucky as you said uh and so I think that's that something is um or just tapping into that. Who are you as a human? How do you connect with others in your life? And then how do we, um, as you, as your previous sales leader did, how do we invite that version of you into your work world? There shouldn't be two versions. <laughs> that is so true. And I feel like the working world, maybe it's thanks to COVID when it, when everybody was like working out of their bathrooms with their kids coming in and out of the frame, maybe that has helped shift business and in a positive direction where there is more unification between, you know, who we are in work and who we are in life. But, you know, part of what's been really powerful for, for me and for us as we've been thinking through, well, how do we structure and scale practice-based training for some of these soft skills, like you've mentioned, like curiosity, like the secret for us really has been in slowing down, kind of like I mentioned earlier. Like, you know, there's a there's an exercise that we do that is designed to help people to become better questioners and discovery. But the first step we've found in being a more effective questioner isn't just having the list of questions and then rattling it off. It's actually developing an awareness of what it feels like to be curious about the person that you're speaking to. And we do an exercise outside of the context of a sales role play. You're in a real conversation with your practice partner and we give people a curiosity map. It's like areas that are great places to get curious about in a sales conversation or in a life conversation, right? About impact and motivational drivers, all the aspects that allow, or all the areas that allow sellers to really get to the root of why a prospect is curious about a purchase or why might want to make a change. But rather than just tell the practicers to ask questions in those areas, we literally have them slow down and tune into that feeling of curiosity in their body and just see like what they're legitimately curious about first. It's like baby step because we all have the experience, A, of being told you need to be more curious of a seller, B, feeling like, well, how the hell do I do that? And C, having the experience of being curious in our lives. We are all born with this innate curiosity. But if you don't know what it feels like, it's pretty hard to bring it in, into your professional and, and your selling life. And by first helping sellers to get aware of like what they're curious about, we then invite them not to have to formulate the perfect question like they would with a prospect, but just to literally say, you know, I'm, I'm actually curious about like what, what moved you to want to, you know, bring more exercise into your life if that's the, what they're talking about in the first place. And that's step one. And then step two, as you're thinking about being a more effective questioner, is then giving form and structure to the question, making it open-ended, et cetera, so that 
you're going to get a better response and a deeper and a more thoughtful response on the other end. But by slowing things way, 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 way down when you're thinking about training a skill like curiosity or reminding people what it feels like to be curious and bringing it into their selling, that's where you create that awareness. Then when you don't force them to have to form it perfectly and in real time, they're able to access what they care most about. And then we work with them on the form and the structure that 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 work, you know, works most effectively in a sales context. We'll be right back after this word from the Compete Network. Hey everyone, I'm Jason Oakley, co-host of Compared to What, a show where my friend Federico and I dive deep into the all-important tool in a product marketer's toolkit, the comparison page. We guide you through real-life examples from brands like Shopify and Big Commerce, Chromecast and Airtable, Asana, ClickUp, and more, taking a look at the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly along the way. So come watch Federico and myself on season one of Compared to What, only on the Compete Network. All right, back to the show. So I, I mean, I hear loud and clear to slow it down, but yeah. I think what I'm also hearing that maybe is that, so that, that's almost tactical, but then there's something that's a little bit more um, deep and raw within it, which is that, do you trust your own curiosities? Can we tap into and recognize those sensations within ourselves? And mm-hmm. do we have the confidence that when we have that little, you know, tickle of curiosity for us to actually follow it? Uh, so how do we how do we instill that confidence or, or or start to build that muscle? That is such a good question. Have you done any work around this with your team? That the, the confidence and curiosity piece? Not at a team level, because I think that's my biggest struggle is figuring out how do you how do you scale this? And we were doing you know more broad trainings across the whole sales org. And then we've recently made a switch to now focus on an individual manager to their direct team level with kind of a structure and a plan across that is consistent. Um, but no, like that one, I find that I'm, I sure have experienced that on, again, a one-to-one basis where even simple exercises like, you know, you, you want to get more curious. Okay, let's flip this coaching session. You're the coach. Coach me. Like, get me to bring a topic in. What is it that you're curious about? Ask me anything. We'll get into that topic and then, you know, stop. What do we notice? Where do we, what do we feel in our body? What's coming up for us in terms of questions? What hesitations are we noticing? What does that feel like in our body? So I don't know. There's, I think there's that somatic, you know, mind body connection that we have to tap into. And then again, maybe it's just this get into it exposure that builds the confidence within it, um, or maybe seeing the reaction or the connection that comes from it. Or, and again, with, again, with sellers or just humans in general, we want to see, sure, Jody, that sounds kind of weird and maybe exciting. I'm not sure, but let's see it in action. Does it work? Can you prove it? Are other great sellers doing it? So there's the, the social proof, I think with it, that's where my mind goes just completely raw. Number. Yeah. It's so interesting that confidence in curiosity piece, that's, it's, it's a really, really good question. Um, you know, when I think about some of the ways that folks have tactically applied curiosity in, into their sales conversations, like some of them have reported the, the folks that we were working with last quarter, like when they set their intention going into a discovery conversation to be more curious, period, something shifted in them. Mm-hmm. They dropped the like the the checklist of questions 
They tuned into what they cared about. They listened better. They were able to ask better questions and elicit better responses from their prospects. So I think that the like the the confidence in in the curiosity piece is an important kind of thing to figure out. And I've also noticed just setting the intention, like I'm just going to go into this call with curiosity can be a pretty big game changer versus I'm going to go into this call to get the answers to these questions on my list so that I can pitch, sell, right? That's where things I think start to really break apart and where, to your point, Jody, like prospects can really feel that. It does not feel good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the um, bringing awareness to it, that's the piece of, oh, I'm aware that I want to be curious. So the outcome shifts from my agenda into what is the, the co-created agenda that requires me and you uh, to be able to move something, create something, realize some value, because without you, I don't have a customer. Without me, you don't have you know a, a process to change or a way to change or a platform to use. Um, so yeah, and I think there's a lot of um, relief and release in this idea that it is a co-created process. So it's not on me to convince them and sell them. What does that even mean? They have to sell themselves. And by selling themselves, we're this guide in terms of their own discovery around what works. And, oh, yeah, I can also explain what we do and how we've solved that for other people. Is that inspiring? How does that feel? Um, Is a very different way to enter that conversation versus I'm the you know, this, the circus ringmaster, watch me, I'm going to dance. You ask me a question. I have to figure out a better, you know, act that's going to keep you engaged. There's a lot yeah, of, that's, there. that is, that is so true. And I, in some ways, as you're talking, I'm like, oh, this is coaching. Like in some ways, the most effective sellers are in some ways, the, the most effective coaches are like using all of the skills that, you know, you and I have developed and, 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 and continue to develop, you know, to, help our prospects to think differently, right? And to develop new ideas. And I think all too often we come feeling like we have to have like this solution in a box, you know, and it's fixed, right? But that, and sometimes that is, you know, with, with certain products, like there's a limitation there, right? But to give our prospects the feeling of collaboration and co-creation, I think leads to a richer buying experience, a richer relationship, and ultimately more excitement if the conclusion that they reach is, hell yes, they want to do this, you know? Totally. And I think uh, sometimes we, um, within our products or our marketing, almost train our customers to want to come in and think, oh, there's a magic button for this. Um, Show up the magic button. And then we're on the stage trying to prove that this magic button works versus the other way of, can we can we open up the curtains a little bit and bring them into how we've tried to solve this problem and show them some of the thinking that we've gone through and some of the challenges that we ran into and why we're choosing to solve the problem in this way with our product? Because that's you know part of understanding, I think, them and their persona, understanding their challenges. What are your options in solving this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think that's you know what we're talking about here is the the curiosity and um, the almost outcome independence around, we don't know, is this going to be a a successful, you know, the right fit for you? Or Mm -hmm. is it not? Is there a different way to solve it? There's there's less of an intensity around, I'm going to sell you this and you're going to get it. And, And more of a, it might not be the right fit. 
and now they're kind of interested yeah. in a different way. Yeah. And how much safer do they feel like opening up about their it's, it's so funny. We as sellers, we often like take for granted, like our prospects don't owe us all of their deepest, darkest challenges and business pains. You know, we have to create a space where they feel comfortable enough sharing that. I mean, I'm curious, Jody, like on the on the practice front, like what are some of the skills beyond, let's say, curiosity and question asking? Have you found to be have you found practice to best serve the development of? I think it's those like practice so far for me is um, I think that it's a, I'm almost breaking it out into two areas. There's the stuff that can be done through rote memorization or the you know typical objections that we see. And then there's more of these human skills around discovery, listening, going a bit deeper that are made up of these other things. And I think that, you know, that explain your product or um, pricing, how you present it some of the common objections we get or how you explain uh, not just what your company does, but exactly features within your product. Those are all things that happen in almost every call. And you get, you hear sellers, even though they might not want a script, they have created a talk track for themselves that they know works, right? So fine tuning that, making sure that's really effective. That feels like, again, memorization, practice, role play. Those are really great opportunities there. The other stuff is where it's a bit trickier. Have you found the same? Yes, that is that is literally how we how we think about it. We've often found that for the softer skills like listening and empathy and curiosity, those are often best practiced outside of your typical role play in mm-hmm. large part because those aren't very predictable moments in the sales conversation. Whereas these repeatable, as you say, like kind of by rote where, you know, no, you're not going to get the objection, the same objection every time, but you'll probably get the timing isn't right, or we don't have budget for this at some point. Those kind of more scripted moments, I think, do represent an opportunity where where role play does fit the bill. Because I think one of the challenging things about role play, so the first is, for me, is like the speed. It's, it's, like it's usually game time. So that doesn't give people an opportunity to slow down and build awareness and build new grooves or deepen new grooves and make different choices. So I think slowing down is a really important tweak that would be a very easy one to make for all sales teams. It's literally just cut your role play to half speed, give your practicers and your sellers an opportunity to think it will be more effective practice. So that's the first thing, but also, you know, with role play, it's almost impossible to create the conditions and the more unexpected moments for them to be real enough for the practice to be effective. You know, not only are the feelings, you know, that that you have with your prospect, be they nervousness or whatever, like the stakes are high, different than a role play partner, but it's pretty hard for a role play partner outside of those more predictable moments to play the thing faithfully enough for you to get the at that, you know, in your practice that's going to best serve you. So the delineation that we have made and will continue to, you know, evolve and refine our thinking here is role play is a great context. Like your practice partner playing your prospect is a great context for those more scripted moments, the softer skills, get out of role play into real conversation, into life. And because those are the things that are practicable there and translatable directly back into, into selling. Are there specific things that you say or do to create that safe space to slow down and practice? So yes, and we have gone through some powerful evolution in our thinking there. I think early on, 
you know, as newbies, right, starting this program, wanting to, knowing we needed to create the safe space, we ta- we did more telling than showing. You know, we would say things like, you know, this is a place to be vulnerable and messy and, and it's okay to stumble. And, and all of that was important, right? Important signals to send. Um, but in the way that we structure our program, um, there's usually a kind of kickoff event where we have really been, it's like a kind of kickoff happy hour where we all get to know each other, but we have really been fine tuning how we send those signals early on so that it's baked into the culture. And whereas in our first ones, we talked a lot about vulnerability, right? As something that we wanted everybody to to bring to the table and feel comfortable with. Um, in later iterations, like we show it, we lead with our own vulnerability. Um, yeah, to break that down, give me a, a, a very tangible example. Yeah, I mean, if I'm nervous, and I actually almost always are when we kick off, kick off a new cohort, I'll just say it or I'm like, you know, or if Jonathan and I, my Jonathan is my co-founder at the practice lab. If there's a tech issue or if I'm supposed to say something and, and he cuts, like we, we acknowledge the mistake. We acknowledge the messiness. We acknowledge our own feelings. And increasingly we're putting ourselves out there as sellers who are also selling this program to teams and individuals and sharing our own attempts at being sellers, the good, the bad, and the ugly with our members, because it's very easy as, you know, two trainers leading a program for sellers in it to feel like we know it all, right? Yet, if we're the ones requiring vulnerability of them, if we're the ones encouraging messiness and slowing down and sharing attempts and failures alike, we need to do the same thing. So I think, you know, when I, when I've worked with sales leaders on creating cultures of practice on their teams, two really important things have made a difference, which we do in the practice lab as well. One is to have sales leaders and coaches, not just facilitate practice, but participate in it, Mm -hmm. showing up in all their imperfection, right? Their coaching is not the same as selling. And I accepted long ago that, if I was coaching and not selling, I was a much better coach than I would be a seller, even if what I was coaching was selling, you know. Um, and then, and then, um, you know, th- the other piece along with doing it is to be unafraid to show your own weaknesses and vulnerability and ask for feedback and help from the people in the mix. How do you ask for feedback and actually get real feedback if they're, I mean, I, I hear setting the stage in terms of vulnerability, demonstrating that vulnerability. Um, but how do you break that ice in terms of actually getting to the the raw, real, human to human? And I know you're probably going to say something like, "Oh, it's the, your response to it." But is there something specifically, or even a like an example that comes to mind when I say that, where you feel like, "Yeah, we broke through. We got to that place where there wasn't this um, power dynamic where I'm the teacher and I know everything, and you have to prove that you know it." Oh, that's a hard, that is, that is a hard one. I mean, I made a post the other day on, on LinkedIn about a practice session that I had had when I was a sales coach working for a sales training company. And it was a very practice-based company. And I had a lot of fear around the hierarchy in that organization early on um, because I was just a sales coach and I was practicing with founders. The power of the founder of the company messing up and asking for feedback was one of the most powerful early signals that I could have received 
powerful demonstrations that this was a place where it's safe to to learn and screw up and ask for help. Um, I can't say definitively that there was no hierarchy in that relationship after that moment, but there was a like a, a very humble and open request for feedback and a lot of gratitude on the other side when we gave it. Mm-hmm. And I think that prompted all of us to feel more comfortable than we would have otherwise, uh, you know, offering sometimes tough feedback, you know? Yeah. How do you handle it, Jody? I'm, it's a work in progress for me, honestly. I feel, um, you know, I will, you know, outwardly say I'm a recovering and it's still early stages of my recovery in terms of my perfectionist (laughs) tendencies. Um, and I think I'm every day I'm having to challenge myself on my own um, growth mindset and where I find some maybe solace or grace for myself within that is that there, you know, this idea of that it's a work in progress. It doesn't need to be a finished product. What I say today or in this moment now, I can change my mind as new information you know, comes in. I get another chance. Nothing is finite. And so this idea of iteration, um, there's some, yeah, there's some space there for me. And I think I having, you know, being someone who experiences that, which I think is, you know, really common in terms of a lot of people that I, I speak with and work with, um, we all want to be great at something right off the bat. And I think even something culturally around celebrating the inputs or the work or the effort um, around development really matters and calling that out in yourself. There's, yeah, there's some space there because that also needs to be authentic. Yeah. You, you know, it's, it's funny. As you're talking, I'm realizing, hold on a minute. There, there are a couple of kinds of safety that, that we can create here as coaches. And part of the safety is that we've got the people we're coaching. We've got you. We know, we know where to help you go next, right? So as, as I'm talking, I don't want to make it seem for one second that great coaching is showing up like you don't know what you're doing and asking the people you're coaching for help and feedback. That's, it's a really important distinction that I'm just like feeling in my body needs to be made. Like, I, like the, the areas where I typically ask for feedback is around like the container we're setting. Like I am, I am setting a learning container. How comfortable do you feel? What can we do better? What can, what can we do better to help you to feel like you know where you go to get, to get your learning materials? How can we create more opportunities for you to collaborate with your peers and practice outside of lab? Like, so I am demonstrating my openness to feedback in the domain that I am working in. What I don't want to do is show up in practice with sellers that I'm teaching a skill and not be able to deliver it very effectively <laughs> because that's where things fall apart. Mm-hmm. However, when I'm selling, right, which is not the muscle I'm predominantly using, I get a lot of delight from showing sellers that this is a really hard thing to do and that I'm, that I'm frequently imperfect at it. So it's tricky. If if you're a coach and you're asking for so much feedback that the people you're coaching lose faith in you because it doesn't look like you know what you're doing, mm-hmm. I don't think that creates the kind of safety that we're talking about here. But being a human being that is open to feedback in all of the areas that impact the people who you are care to caring for, you know, and empowering, I think is a, is is a kind of important distinction to make. Love that. Thank you. Yeah, sure. <laughs> what do you, I mean, Jody, do you agree? 
Like I agree. Yeah. I think there's, um, you know, I think especially as women, uh, we have the tendency to want to default to, well, I'm open. Maybe I don't know best. Uh, and I think that there's some, um, uh, there's power in, in being able to say, no, I do know this. And, uh, and I'm confident in this way. And so, and I think people want that. They want to follow that and they want to emulate that. And I think it's okay to stand in that, um, in that power as well. Yeah, I do too. So winning is women being the title of the show, uh, and winning in particular being such a subjective word, you know, our definition of it changes as we do. Uh, curious, what's the currency that you're currently using to measure winning in your life today? It's such a good, I knew you were going to ask that. (laughs) So, you know, it's interesting for me, winning is about at this moment, and it's always shifting an alignment with the, between the internal and the external. I'm working on being solid enough in an understanding of who I am and what I'm about in service of showing up as that person in the world. I have no interest in creating a public persona for myself that doesn't reflect what's going on inside. And I'm starting to feel like my my values and this and the the strength of my character is exactly the person who I want to be on the outside. So for me, at this moment, that that is winning. Thank you for showing up here with vulnerability and for opening up uh, some of your thinking, uh, which is really cutting edge uh, in the world of of selling and and sales today. and, And in my opinion, much needed work. So thank you for that. And uh, can you share with everyone where you are uh, best found in terms of uh, folks wanting to engage with you, engage with the practice lab, your content? So LinkedIn is the place where most things happen. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Jordana Zeldin. The practice lab has a page on LinkedIn, but it's not active at all. Um, And thepracticelab.co is the place for sellers to find information about how to practice with us, be it in our free monthly trainings or in our in our quarter long cohort, um, or for sales leaders and teams to learn more about how to bring us into their team so that more practice can start to happen there. Exciting. And uh, we are going to continue this conversation as well. So we will post uh, this episode. You'll find it on the Compete Network. And please engage, ask any questions that you might have, um, Jordana and me, and we'll be back in two weeks to follow up with a a Q&A session to answer some of those questions and also have the space to, you know, rethink and maybe repractice some of the things that we said here because again, it's it's all a work in progress. Thank you so much for having me, Jody. Thanks for being here.